0: Hey Faith Family, if you have a Bible, turn to Hosea chapter 14, the last chapter in the book of Hosea. We're continuing in our boundless series over the last several weeks. Uh, we have just, I have certainly enjoyed this series and we've been looking at God's boundless love in the book of Hosea. Now, just because we're in the final chapter doesn't mean this is the final message. Uh, in fact, there's probably a couple of more weeks that I'd like to, to do in this series, a few more things. I'd like for us to look at, but we are going to go ahead and kind of look at how uh, the book ends here in Hosea chapter 14. And so uh, if you got your Bible, uh, let's look at Hosea chapter 14, and we're just going to read the first four verses of chapter 14. Hosea 14 verse 1 says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you your words and return to the Lord and say to him take away all iniquity except what is good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips Assyria shall not save us we will not ride on horses and we will say no more uh, our God to the work of our hands in you the orphan finds mercy I will heal their apostasy I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them this is the word of god faith family let's pray together god thank you for this opportunity once again to return to the book of hosea uh, to understand uh, even deeper your love uh, that is for us in christ jesus and so uh, just help me as i teach Uh, to teach your word. Uh, May it be uh, faithful to what you have revealed in the scriptures. And so, uh, God, help us now understand you even more in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a uh, father of two daughters, uh, I have seen it more than I wanted to. Uh, In fact, it is my middle daughter, my middle child's favorite Disney movie. I'm referring to beauty and the beast. Many of you remember the story, there's a a poor inventor that has a, a young daughter by the name of Belle. Belle is seen to be, by most of the villagers, a little odd because of her love for books, but more than that, she is ultimately admired for her beauty. In fact, there's a a man in the village who is absolutely in love with her. He wants more than anything to marry her. He asks her every day if she will marry him. And he is the kind of man, the kind of guy that every woman would want to marry. His name was Gaston what a hunk he is tall and strong and handsome and without a doubt he is the best pick in town every guy here'd love to be you even when taking your lumps there's no man in town (laughs) as admired as you you're everyone's favorite guy everyone's awed and inspired by you and it's not very hard to see why. No one's slick as Gaston, no one's quick as Gaston, no one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston, for there's no man in town half as manly. <coughs> up your paragon You can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, And they'll tell you whose team they prefer yeah. to be on No, no one's been like Gaston, like Gaston, big, big like Gaston big like Gaston No one's got us well cleft in his gym like Gaston As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating Gaston I, I mean, seriously If Belle has any intelligence at all, if she has any sense at all, she will marry a guy like that. And that is part of the the twist of the whole story. You see Belle, due to a very unfortunate event related to her father, she ends up imprisoned by a beast. And while she is in prison, much to her shock, she is treated with kindness. In fact, the beast falls in love with her as well. Uh, But she wants nothing to do with the beast. I mean, after all, how could you love someone that looks like that? I mean, look at that face. He's a beast. And then one day... Upon hearing that her father is not doing well, Belle asked the beast if she could be released. And he agrees. While Belle is away, uh, tending to her father, it dawns on her that she has fallen in love with the beast. And in a shocking turn of events, at least by all worldly standards, Belle ends up marrying not the pick of the village a man like gaston she ends up marrying the beast in fact if you know the story it's her love that transforms the beast into a beauty and all god's people said yuck right Now, faith family, listen to me for just a moment. We all know that Beauty and the Beast is a fairy tale. We understand that. But it's also one of the most famous examples in movie and literature and film uh, of an unlikely marriage. I mean, after all, most people would not expect someone as beautiful as a bell to love someone as beastly as the beast. And yet, that often happens in life. Does it not, faith family? I mean, come on, be honest. There are times when you look at a couple and you think, what in the world is he doing with her? Or vice versa, what is she doing with him? In other words, you take a look at a couple and by all appearances, there doesn't seem to be any rational reason for why the two of them would be together. And your assessment that leads you to that conclusion may be based on their physical attraction like and the beast, maybe it's based on their financial status, uh, maybe it's the fact that they don't seem to have anything in common, uh, maybe there's a significant age gap between the two, but for whatever the reason, you know that feeling of looking at a couple and saying, that's an unlikely pair, that. Is an unlikely marriage. And that, in many ways, has been the story in the book of Hosea. I mean, after all, what is Hosea, a prophet of God, a spokesman for God, a man called by God, doing with someone like Gomer? A prostitute, a whore. What is somebody like that doing with someone like her? And of course, if you're mentally overthinking that example, uh, you're missing the point. Because the real question would be, what is God doing with a people like Israel? What is God doing with a people like Israel? Or better yet, come here faith family. What is Jesus doing with you? What is Jesus doing with you? Talk about your odd Couple? Think of it in the book of Hosea. How can the best possible husband in the universe, the God who is forever faithful, love a constantly wayward, consistently unfaithful wife like Israel? I mean, every time he makes her prosper, she becomes a prostitute. He never leaves her. She leaves him time and time again. He wants her. She wants Baal. And yet he remains unmoved in his love for her. And eventually you're just left wondering, what is he doing with her? What is he doing with her? The reality is, notice this on the screen, Faith Family, that God's love is not based on your beauty. God's love is what gives you beauty. God's love is not based on your beauty that is your good works or your uh, earning it or or your uh, living up to an expectation of where you would be loved. It's His love that makes you beautiful. As I've said time and time again in this series, God's love for you is not based on the fact that you are good or bad. It's based on the fact that you are His. And it's His love that makes us Beautiful. Now, as we come to this final chapter in the book of Hosea, like every love story, and certainly the, uh, a love story as odd as this one, we ask, How does it? end. How does this love story that we've studied for all these different weeks and now 14 chapters, how does it come to an end? And you would think at this point it'd be like, okay, God finally comes to his senses, right? I mean, God finally, the faithful husband who has been forsaken time and time again uh, by this beastly sinful bride, he comes to his senses and he gets rid of the old hag for good. Isn't that what you would expect? The wayward wife, Finally, walks away one too many times, and the husband calls it quits. How does this love story end? Verse 4 I will heal their apostasy, I will love them freely, for my anger is turned. From them. That's how this love story ends. Notice here the security of God's love. I mean, if there's one thing that you'd have to say about this faithful husband that is God, it's that he sure is consistent. Because the book of Hosea ends the way it's been throughout of God continually loving his. People, Let's break down that verse. He says, I will heal their apostasy. That is, though they have forsaken me, though they have turned from me, I will restore them, I will heal them, I will renew the covenant we made together. Secondly, I will love them freely. God is saying, I love my people. Not because I have to. Not because I'm obligated. There's no arm-twisting here, no deal-making, no expectations. It's just free, sovereign, unconditional love that God has for His people. It's crazy! It's absolutely insane. After all that has been said and done, after everything that Israel has done to their faithful husband God, he says, I'll heal their apostasy. I'll love them freely. And then the third phrase in that verse, my anger has turned from them. I have no anger towards them at all. It's not, I will love them, but I can't look at their face. It's not, I will love them, but I'm never going to let them forget it. It's not, I will love them, but they're going to have to sleep on the couch. It's not, I will love them, but if they do this one more time, not at all. Not at all. This love story ends with God. After all of Israel's idolatry and spiritual adultery and under the table deals with Assyria, it is God saying this, I will love them freely. And there'll be no anger at all. None whatsoever. This is God's boundless love for His people. In fact, then, listen to me for just a minute. This is not just what the Old Testament book of Hosea is saying as it relates to God in Israel. This is what the New Testament book of First John says about Jesus and his bride look at 1st John chapter 4 and verse 10 1st John 4 verse 10 says in this is love not this is important not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, faith family, you and I did not love God first. He loved us. We were not even able to love him. It's like that old song, oh how he loves or oh how I love Jesus. Oh how I love Jesus. Oh how I love Jesus because He first loved me. You see, without God's love, we are unable to love Him, for dead people don't love very well. And the good news of this truth, notice this on the screen, is that His love for you is not conditioned on your love for Him. That's incredible news. This proves the fact this is love, that God loved us, not that we loved Him. It means that there's no conditions to His love. It's not, I love you if you love me, or I loved you because I knew you were going to love me. No, God simply put His love upon us. He didn't love you because of conditions. He loves you unconditionally. Which means, faith family, God loved you before. God loves you now. And He will love you forever freely. This is God's amazing and boundless love. But it gets even better. According to Hosea 14.4 and 1 John 4.10, Now think about this, faith family. Zoned out, zoned right back in right here. What this means is the only thing God feels for you is love. The only thing, the only thing He feels for you is love. That's it. Hosea puts it this way My anger is turned away. 1 John 4 puts it this way, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation just simply means the wrath substitute. In other words, all of the righteous anger, and it is a righteous anger, all of the righteous anger that God has towards us and our sin was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross. And that means the only thing He feels for you, even in your mess, is love. It's the only thing He feels for you. It's not 50-50, it's not 90-10, it's not 99.9 and .1, it's 100% love. It's not love with a little bit of frustration, love with a little bit of hesitation, love with some uncertainty, love with resentment. It's only love. It's not love in the past, but not love in the present. It's not love in the past and the present, but not in the future. It is love in the past, love in the now, and love forevermore. That is God's love for you in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus took God's anger, the righteous anger that our sin deserved, because Jesus took that, the only thing we receive is God's love. That's how secure, that is how secure God's love for you is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the reality of God's love, everything that I have just said over the past several minutes here, ought to... Shock you. It ought to be the most shocking news you've ever heard in your life. It, you ought to almost be appalled at such a statement. Now, I'm going to try to illustrate this. I'll probably get in trouble as a communicator. I probably won't communicate it well, so give me grace. But I'm going to try to give an example to, to help you feel how shocking this is that God would love us this. Way. L- 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 let me show you something, okay? Hang with me. Think with me for a minute. Go back to Hosea chapter 13 and verse 16. This is Hosea 13, verse 16. It's the last verse of Hosea 13, and it says this Samaria, that is Israel, the northern kingdom, shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God, and they shall fall by the sword, their little ones shall be dashed into pieces, wow, and their pregnant women ripped open. Wow. That's not a verse you find on a coffee mug very often at all. That's the kind of verse that probably many of you wish that I would just skip. What's that verse about? Okay, think with me for just a minute, will you, faith family? Think with me. That verse is simply referring to the judgment that's going to happen when Assyria takes Israel, Samaria, captive. Okay, in in prophetic imagery, uh, there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be loss of life, There, there is going to be judgment that comes upon Israel when Assyria comes and takes them captive. Now here's my question, does that bother you? Does that verse bother you? I guarantee you it bothers a lot of people. If you don't believe me, the next time you're at a Bible study or the next time you're talking to a, a lost co-worker, just read them that verse and make note of their initial reaction. Well, how could a God do that? How, how, could, how, how could God be a God of love and stuff like that happen? And they'll get appalled and they'll get outraged and they'll be, they'll be shocked by such a verse. Now, hold that thought, and let me give you an illustration, okay? I'm not trying to be political, I'm not trying to be cultural, I'm trying to be biblical. As many of you know, in the last few weeks, right here in the city of Minneapolis, we experienced the tragic death of George Floyd. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. And as many of you know, our city and uh, really our country uh, ever since has been outraged at that event. And rightly so in many ways. Rightly so. There ought to be a sense of outrage. But here's my question. Here's my question, okay? And I say this with the purest of hearts. Uh, I hope that I will communicate this well. Here's my question for you. Which of the following outcomes would be most outrageous? Which of the following outcomes would be the most outrageous? The officer charged with the death of George George Floyd stands before the judge and receives justice. He gets what he deserves. Will people be outraged by that? not at all. They'll say he deserved that. There ought to be consequences. There should be judgment for that. No one will be outraged at justice. But what if the officer charged with the death of George Floyd stood before the judge and the judge said this, all charges are dropped and you're free. To go? Are you, are you kidding me? Do you know how people would respond to that kind of verdict? Our culture, and I'm not giving commentary on one side or the other. I'm just saying our culture would be outraged. In other words, faith family, please listen. What is outrageous? What is almost impossible to think of when it relates to sin is not justice, it's mercy. Mercy is what is outrageous. And listen to me, while I can't speak to the details related to the death of George Floyd, I most certainly can speak to the details related to the death of Jesus. Namely, it was our sin that nailed him there. Faith family, you and I are spiritual murderers in the first degree, deserving far. More than Assyrian destruction, we deserve eternal damnation, and yet, because of Jesus, the verdict over our life is I will love you freely, and my anger is turned away. That's outrageous! That's outrageous. And if you will honestly stop and think about it, faith family, the love of God for sinners is far more outrageous than the judgment of God. Now you say, why are you doing all this? Here's why I'm doing all this. And I'm, I'm doing it as a pastor. I'm hoping I'm communicating this well. We will read the last verse of Hosea 13 about the judgment coming upon Israel with the Assyrian captivity, and we will be outraged. How could God? Well, I can't. Bu-. And then we will read in chapter 14, God saying, I will love you freely. And we're kind of like, yeah, that sounds about right. And it shows you how little we really understand about the insanity of God's love for us. It really is an outrageous love. God says to His wayward people, when it's all said and done, and the love story comes to a close, here's how it ends. I will heal you, and I will love you freely, and there will be no anger for you whatsoever." That's the security of the love of God in Hosea 14. Now the challenge for us as believers, the challenge for us is how do we live in that? How do we live in that love? Well, first John I think is helpful again here. Here's first John four verse sixteen. First John four sixteen. So we have come to know and to believe. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Here's the important thing. This is so critically important, Faith Family. Christians, Christians are those who not only know God's outrageous, boundless love, but they also believe it. They don't just know it, they believe it. That is, they live in it. Because the reality is, and I've addressed this several times in this series, is we're much like the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son on his way home to the father? He's thinking it is mine. At best, I'm a slave. At best. There's no way I'm treated like a son. There's no way I should be treated like a son. At the very best, I'll be a slave at my father's home. And yet, what Hosea 14 teaches is, not only is God's love for you secure, is that God's love for you is sincere. Like You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to question whether or not everything I've just said for the past several minutes is true. You're secure, but the security of that love is sincere. God really means it. And let me show you three reasons very quickly in Hosea 14 why not only can you be secure in God's love but you can see the sincerity of God's love here's the first thing that I want you to see is look at God's pleading look at God's pleading Uh, this is chapter 14 verse 1 return O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity." Look at God's pleading. In other words, God, through the prophet Hosea, is uh, calling out for Israel, return to the Lord, return to the Lord. And of course, that's something that happens repeatedly uh, throughout the book of Hosea. Now, here's my question for you, okay? Faith family, look, look here for just a minute. Why does God repeatedly tell His people to come to Him? because he really wants them to come to him he wants you he's pleading and the reason he's pleading return home come back is because he wants you and God is not the type of God that does not mean what he says so notice this on the screen we need to stop Dwelling on what you think God should say and start dwelling on what God has said. Stop dwelling on what you think God should say. The prodigal son, my father's never going to accept me. I'll only be a slave. Probably won't even let me through the front door. Stop dwelling on what you think God should say and actually dwell on what God has said, which is come to me, come to me. I love you. I will love you freely. I mean it. Come home. You see, just because you don't think God loves you doesn't mean that He doesn't love you. In fact, in this unlikely marriage that is you and Jesus, I'm quite certain He's the rational one. I'm quite certain that He's the one that speaks the truth. And so, faith family, in black... And white letters. God is saying to His people, I want you. Come home. Come home. Look at His pleading. If you ever doubt how sincere God is, look at His pleading. Here's a second thing that I would show you about the sincerity of God's love is look at God's pattern. Look at God's pattern. I take this from verse 2. Take with your work take with you words and return to the Lord, say to him, Take away all iniquity, except what is good, and we will pay with bulls in the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, we will not say uh, we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. Now, I don't have the time to break down every little phrase in verses 2 and 3. Here's basically the summary of what those verses are saying. It's this. If you go to God, okay, come to God with your words. If you go to God with lips of praise, it speaks about the, the vows of our lips. So if you come to God with uh, praise, with, with uh, praise on your lips, um, acknowledging your idolatry. Uh, the text talks about Assyria shall not save us. We'll no longer say our God to the work of our hands. In other words, if you'll come to God with praise on your lips, acknowledging your idolatry, which is what Israel would be doing here, uh, here's what's going to happen. Just like an orphan, you receive mercy. Just like an orphan, you receive mercy. Here's, here's the here's the question look at me has God ever 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 rejected a genuine heart no God has a pattern of showing mercy hello I mean talk about Israel At this point in Hosea and Old Testament history, God is like, I'm pretty sure I've got a resume that is impeccable when it comes to showing you mercy. I have received you back time and time again. The problem is, is that you and I, like orphans, is that we've been so used to rejection that it's hard for us to really accept that we'll be accepted we, we forget the pattern of mercy that God has shown us. Now, this is a story I've shared before, and uh, uh, but I think it, it really speaks to this. It's about Ernie Johnson. Many of you will know Ernie Johnson. Uh, he's a broadcaster for TNT, uh, covers the NBA. Well, he and his wife, Cheryl, uh, have adopted several children. In fact, uh, here's a picture of uh, two of their older children named Ashley and Allison. Uh, that they adopted from foster care system. Now, uh, Ashlyn and Allison uh, were bounced around uh, for quite a bit during their life. Uh, They had learning disabilities. They had been abused at times in their life, and uh, what Ernie said was that one of the biggest hurdles that he picked up on early on when they came into uh, their family, one of the biggest hurdles was getting them to accept, we're not going to send you back. We're not going to send you back. And he said where he really noticed this was uh, in a conversation between uh, uh, Allison and his wife, Cheryl. His wife, Cheryl, had just finished explaining to Allison that this was her forever home. This is your forever home. And Allison looked at Cheryl and said, Well, how long will forever be this time, how long will forever be this time? You see, the pattern of their life had been rejection, rejection. You're not loved. You're not accepted. And so it was hard for them to comprehend that this could actually be a forever home. Faith family, God has A resume throughout all of redemptive history that when you come to Him with a genuine heart, He always shows you mercy. Do you doubt how sincere this love is for you? If you do, look at His pleading. Come home. Come home. He doesn't just say that to say it. He means it. And not just that, look at his pattern. Time and time and time again, he has shown you the grace and love that you do not deserve. Here's a third reason why we can know that God's love is sincere. We can know God's love is sincere, and it's found in uh, verses 5 through 7. But notice the point first it's God's passion. Look at God's passion. Verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell underneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Now, let's be honest. Let's be honest. That kind of language doesn't mean much to us. I mean, we read that and we're like, okay, that sounds nice. What in the world does it mean? Do you have any idea where that language comes from? Bible trivia here. Where does that language come from? The answer is the Song of Solomon. God's book in the Old Testament of romance, of passion of love. It's actually, much like Hosea and Gomer, a symbol of God's passionate love for His bride, for His people. And even, by the way, if you didn't pick up on that being Song of Solomon language, you can kind of see the romantic tones. Blossom like a flower. Beauty like an olive. Fragrance like Lebanon. Dwell underneath my shadow. This kind of taking someone in. It's the same language. It's the same language used back in chapter 2 of the book of Hosea. When God uses this kind of language, I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. In other words, what is God doing? How does this love story end? It ends with love. Passionate love. And if that kind of throws you off, if you think that's weird to talk about it that way, here's what you need to understand. God's love for you is so intimate, it is so intimate, that the only, like the closest human expression that we can even relate to is romantic passion. That, that's like the best we can do, humanly speaking, is to give that kind of metaphor, that kind of illustration. And so what God is saying to His people is not only am I pleading with you, right not only do i have a pattern of showing you mercy time and time again but i have a passion for you an intimate passion for my bride i really really love you i'm not playing i'm sincere And this book ends with this kind of declaration of God's desire for His wayward wife. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely incredible. So what's the the summary of what we've looked at as we close? Is that the love story, the love story that is your relationship to God, the love story that is your relationship with God, ends in love. It ends... In love. It's completely secure. There is no doubt at all that in the future and in the now, just like in the past, your love story is going to end with love. And if for some reason you don't think that's sincere, if for some reason you don't think that that's true, all you need to do is look at God pleading for you, look at His pattern of mercy for you, and look at His passion. Look at how much he loves you and you'll never have to doubt it so faith family think about it god and israel better yet jesus and you that is a very unlikely marriage i mean seriously Who would have ever put the two of you together? Who would have ever put the two of you together? And the answer to that question, of course, is God. God put us together. And it's not a joke, it's not a misprint in your Bible. It is the sincere love of God for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And so sincere is that love that God sent His only Son as a propitiation for our sins. The good news of the Gospel, Faith Family, is that the beauty became the beast to make the beast beautiful forever. And because of that, the only thing He feels for you is love. And that is how your love story ends. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, just once again uh, being in the book of Hosea, just overwhelms us at this amazing love that you have for us in Jesus. And uh, I pray that we are, um, like 1 John says, not just knowing it, but we're believing it. That that it it is sinking in, that we feel it, and that it's transforming us. And so we thank you um, for your love, and we trust and believe that uh, when it's all said and done, Forever and ever and ever, the only thing that you will feel for us is love because of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good news, and I pray, I really pray, that you would help us as people of faith rest in this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Faith Family, thanks for uh, worshiping with us today. And uh, I hope that you are being encouraged week after week uh, through our study in the book of Hosea. If you're uh, watching today and you would like to reach out to us here at Faith Family, uh, drop us an email. Uh, for the gospel gatherings at gmail.com, for the gospel gatherings at gmail.com. Let us know how we can pray for you. Let us know if you would like to reach out and make contact with someone at Faith Family that could uh, talk with you about how you can have a relationship with God. Uh, maybe there's a, a decision that you need to make of some kind. We would be more than happy uh, to talk with you, whatever God is doing in your life. So thanks for tuning in today. Trust that you'll worship with us again next week. We'll see you then.